Welcome back to Scary Bear Attacks. This week's episode takes us to my family cabin in central Idaho, just about 20 miles south of one of the largest wilderness areas in the lower 48, the Frank Church Wilderness Area. Yes, this event happened to me and my family. This area is one mile high in elevation and consists of steep, decomposed granite mountains covered in pine, fir, and a mix of willow, alder, buckbrush, as well as various berry bushes. It was the month of April 2009, and Boise County of central Idaho had received several times the amount of typical rainfall. It was almost like you could watch the Payette River set a new high watermark each time you entered on the old wooden bridge. Make no mistake, it was beautiful. Everything was green, and the clouds rolling across the sky dimmed the light just enough you didn't even have to squint to take it all in. My family had a terrible time due to the real estate crash. We lost our business, four rental houses, and our primary house as well. We also lost our two family cars and just about everything useful to help us recover. In fact, I believe the bankruptcy cutoff mandated we forfeit anything worth more than $500 of liquidated value. All we had was each other. My wife Xandra and I decided to move ourselves and our two sons, Ezra and Azariah, to the family cabin to complete construction on the halfway done building. The walls were seven and a quarter inch D logs on the first floor, then the upper floor was framed out of attic trusses, creating two bedrooms that only had the floors installed, no walls yet. I struck a deal with my dad that if I finished the cabin, he would buy the materials and we could live there until we could get better jobs. Xander's parents had let us borrow their RV, which we parked up the hill overlooking the cabin, and I would go down and work all day. The morning of April 20th was wet and cold, as I made my way through the buckbrush and down the hill toward the day's labor. As I approached the cabin, I could see a complete disaster. In front of the cabin, we had erected a small tarp shelter to stash our tools under, since we had not built a garage. There were wrappers and tools scattered all over the place. I looked at the bottom of a bookcase I was using as an improvised tool shelf, and the tubes of spray foam sealant all had holes in the bottom of each can. Down below that was a large ball of foam with my drill, my hammer, and a few random tools and items embedded in it. The first thing I thought of was, wow, my friends drove all the way up here just to prank me, but that's not what happened. I started looking around at the other items under the shelter. A large bag of dog food had been laid flat on the ground with a near-perfect X cut through the top of it and had it pulled back. None of it seemed missing. There was a 12-pack of Dr. Pepper soda, which every single can had been punctured and probably consumed if not dumped out on the ground. The 12-pack of Diet Pepsi was nearly untouched. The bag of potatoes was knocked on the ground, but not otherwise bothered. The bag of apples that was on top of the bookcase was missing. Apples, bag, and all. The two-gallon bar oil container for my chainsaw was pierced full of holes and completely empty as well. After taking in all this chaos and realizing it had occurred only about 100 yards from where my family and I had just slept, ate breakfast, and played unnerved me a bit. I decided to clean up and put a stop to this right away. I raked up all of the debris and put it in the burn barrel we burned trash in and moved it about 80 yards down the road. I scooped up the dog food and broadcast the waste down the hill to try to spread out the smell. I moved all the other food into the building and emptied the trash, which was filled with dirty diapers, rotten milk cartons, and paper plates rinsed of the syrup from breakfast pancakes a few days prior. Combine all of that with the record amount of rainfall, and we had inadvertently created a bear bait at our front door. That day I worked hard on the plumbing and electrical wiring, but my mind continued to wonder about the bear. Around lunchtime I decided to knock off and eat with my family. 
I went outside and noticed that the white 275-gallon IBC tank had a big smear on the side of it. I walked over to it and observed a large bear paw print, perfectly placed, about four feet off the ground. It was big. I took out my tape measure and measured it. It was about 6.5 inches across. If you've ever had that feeling that someone is watching you, and you look up and someone is staring at you from across the room, then you will know the feeling I had the rest of the day. I would stop and look over the brushy hillside, but I didn't notice anything strange. I finished the work for the day early and went up to help prepare dinner and get the boys ready for bed. After dinner, around 7 p.m., I couldn't shake that feeling again, and I thought I would pacify my nerves. I told Xandra to wait here with the boys, and I'm going to go look outside. I walked over to the edge of the small hill and looked down toward the cabin. The area was mostly elderberry bushes and buckbrush, but had some big pines and fir trees mixed in. I stared at the open door of the cabin for probably about 10 minutes, just wondering if the bear would be back that night and second-guessing leaving my 300 Winchester Magnum hunting rifle in the cabin while I ate. Just as I started to feel like it was all fine and well, I heard a loud bonk, and the bear ran down the hill from the cabin into a small clearing. He'd been right in front of me the whole time, and I was practically staring right at him. He'd knocked over the wood splitter and startled himself. Right when I saw him and how close he was to my family, I could feel a sort of anger welling up in me. I started yelling at him to go away and get out of here. He responded by standing on his hind legs and staring at me. Xander came running out to see what I was yelling at. I told her to wait right there and keep an eye on the bear as I headed down the hill to the cabin to get my rifle. I would start down the hill and the bear would hear me rustling in the bushes and start coming toward me to investigate. Xander would yell at me to get back up because the bear was coming toward me and I would scramble my way back up the hill to get a visual on him again. The bear would then return back to his clearing and stand on his hind legs again to see me as well. This went on about three times before I figured he was going to continue to do this and I went back to yelling at him. As I watched him from my elevated perspective, he walked over to the decomposed granite hill my kids played on with their toy trucks. I watched him as he went from item to item, sniffing where I placed my hands on my shovel, smelling the toy dump truck and the other toys my sons were playing with earlier. I thought to myself, this son of a bitch is indexing my whole family. I watched him slip through the trees hidden by shadows from the spotlight as he walked right inside my cabin. After about two hours of this, with one hour of that under the spotlight, I finally decided to drive down there and make sure he was gone. The road to the cabin winds about one mile around the hill and nearly a circle. As I pulled up, I could see the open cabin door but wasn't sure where the bear had gone. It was pitch black and I started to get out of my truck to close the cabin door, but what if the bear was inside? I would be shutting him in and then he would wreck the place trying to get out. And if I went in there to get my rifle, I might run into him. I decided the bear had won this battle of wits. I retreated back up the hill to my RV, unarmed and irritated that I had been outsmarted. The next day I walked back down the hill to see what had occurred overnight. I walked through the cabin just to make sure he wasn't still in there. I made sure to grab my rifle this time. He was gone and I resumed work. At lunchtime I told Xander that I wanted us to sleep in the cabin that night just in case he came back. We made the proper sleeping arrangements and moved in right after dinner time. She slept up on the queen mattress with the boys and I slept on the floor with my rifle. The rain played a tempo on the metal roof and the off-grid cabin was devoid of any other noise. No electric buzz of gadgets, refrigerators, or appliances. Just the rhythmic patter of rain and metered drops in puddles from the roof. It wasn't long before we were all sleeping. I have a strange ability to listen while I sleep and just after midnight I heard a distant bonk. I grabbed my rifle and stood up to investigate. 
Xandra asked me, What are you doing? I said, The bear's here. I heard him tip over the burn barrel down the road. She was too tired to consider the situation and objected as I crept through the darkness to the window at the other end of the upstairs. The moon was full and lit up the entire area, and the land was thinly veiled by the ground fog that floated just above it. I could see the bear with his head in the burn barrel about 80 yards from me. I pulled open the spring-loaded window and held it open with my left hand while it also grasped the flashlight and stabilized my rifle while I was aiming. The bear pulled his head from the burn barrel and the full moon highlighted his ears. I aimed right between his ears and pulled the trigger. This awkward shooting position ended with me gashing my nose open with a scope ring on the back of the gun and completely losing sight of the bear after I shot. I wiped the blood from my nose as I flashed the light around the bush looking for eye shine. I stayed there and looked for several minutes and I couldn't find him, nor had I heard him run off through the bushes. If I hit him, I knew where he would be in the morning. I went back to bed. Not more than an hour later, I hear something big being dragged across the plywood floor below us. The bear was inside the cabin. I jumped up and grabbed my gun and assumed the flashlight holding the rifle position from earlier and cleared the cabin in the dark. Each room I cleared, I concluded he had to be in the next room, but he wasn't. Perplexed, I went back upstairs and tried to go back to sleep. After about 30 more minutes, I could hear a noise like a dog scratching on the metal door. I grabbed my rifle and headed back to the second floor window I shot from earlier and flashed the flashlight around. Nothing. I had just heard him scratching on that door like a dog who wanted to be let in. I again surveyed the area for eye shine, but nothing. As soon as I laid down, I began drifting off to sleep again, but was awakened again by a noise from him moving something around outside this time. By this point, I was too tired and just banged on the framing of the building and yelled at him. I could hear him run off. This cycle repeated itself every 30 minutes or so until about 5.30 a.m. I decided to go downstairs and figure out what the big object I heard moving across the floor was. When you build a log cabin, an easy way to keep your building secure while marking out your windows is to skip every other log row where your windows are going to be. It leaves a series of parallel openings in your wall that permits light and air to come in, but nothing very big. By looking at the bear tracks outside and the scratches on the logs, I could see that the bear had reached into the window and pulled down a coat we had hanging on a nail. He knocked down a can of peanut butter and accidentally snagged a small wheeled office chair. That was the noise I heard in the night. For the next few days, I would work and look around, keeping a careful eye on my sons playing in the granite face. All the while, I had this eerie feeling that we were being watched, even though I had no proof. After getting a few good looks at this bear, I was left with the impression that he was what I called a dork bear. He was probably kicked out of the den by his mom and chased out of the better bear claims by more mature males. So he decided our unintentional bear bait was a great invitation to stake out a new territorial claim. I estimated he weighed about 250 pounds, but Xandra said he was much larger than I am when I stood in the same place she saw him. I weigh about 350 pounds, so that would make him 500 pounds. I'm pretty sure she was just excited, and it made him seem larger. I spoke with my neighbor Dick, the man who owns the chalet up the hill. He said the bear had torn off his wellhead cover. Otto from down the hill said that the bear had cut open his screen porch to eat the cat's food. It was bear season, but I decided to call the Idaho Fishing Game to see if they could trap him and move him somewhere that he could be a bear instead of a pet. It took a few days, and the game warden showed up towing a huge culvert trap. He parked it on my driveway and he baited it with a small amount of fish and blood and set the spring-loaded door, warning me to keep my kids away from it because it could cut off an arm. Xandra had had enough of the Idaho woods and begged some of our friends in Boise to let us stay with them until we found an apartment. 
That little dork bear outsmarted that game warden for the rest of the summer, and he never did catch him. We found out later that the bear was sleeping about 100 yards from my cabin under my neighbor's deck. I was told by the same neighbor that the bear was shot by some hunters a few years later, a bit further up the valley.